Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. <laughs> We've begun. Yeah. Well, I'm sure a lot of this will be cut out. You think so? Probably not this part. Especially now since you've said that. Oh, Shall we go? In three? Wait, wait. Oh, oh, you're doing that part. Okay. I thought we were going to say hi and stuff first. So oh, we can say hi first. Okay, hi. Hi, everyone. Hi. With me in the studio today is Jack Dorino. Hi. And this is... Gray. Together we are the duo that makes the, the stilting and disjointed podcasts. Let's trek about <laughs> talks. Oh, and okay. Let's trek over talk once another. At least we're on separate tracks so you can back him up or cut him out. <laughs> Good. What are we here today for? We are going to review an episode of Star Trek Prodigy. One, episode nine, which is titled "A Moral Star." Are we going to do the whole thing? I we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Okay, cool. So this is part one so far. So this episode of Prodigy was aired on the twenty seventh of January two thousand twenty two. It is the eighth of all Star Trek Prodigy episodes, and it is the eight hundred and twenty sixth of all Star Trek episodes overall. Wow. You might notice in a moment. <laughs> Uh, that there's a written by part, right? And the the writers are numerous on this episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Should we start listing them now so that we can get to them before their credits are over? Oh, you took a note. Please go ahead. Let's start. Oh, sure. Um, written by Kevin and Dan Hagman, Julie Benson, and Shauna Benson. Uh-huh. Lisa Schultz, uh, Nikhil SJRM. Dandra Pendleton Thompson. And last but not least, Oh, nope, there's two more. There's Sorry. Chad Quantz. Don't forget about Chad Quantz. Yep, but last and not least, Aaron J. Waltkin. Waltke. Walt. So, so this actually can, comprises the entirety of the Star Trek Prodigy Writers Room. Um, listing oh, as... It? Yeah, it okay. is. So listing as they did for these, episodes, these pair of episodes, the entire writing room, they have achieved the most number of writers listed for a Star Trek episode ever. You're on okay. episode 826. Oh, okay. That's that's very fascinating. I guess I didn't realize that's their entire writer's room? Yeah, it's everyone who works in, in the writer's room of Star Trek Prodigy. So, so, they're just like, all of you take a sentence each. I've always often wondered how that kind of stuff works and there's multiple writers on a project. Well, we've experienced over the course of this season that one or two writers usually works on an episode. Yeah, although you've seen a few one one writer episodes. That's why I said one or two. Oh, oh, one or two. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> those, those numbers. Uh, uh -huh. Directed by Ben Hyben. Hyben? Uh, yeah, either. Yeah. Or. So I note that uh, this this listing of directors uh, flies in the face of my assertion last episode where I mentioned that I believe that there was a voice director and as an animatics director and perhaps he directed both perhaps yeah that's what I was just gonna say shall we walk through the episode yes 
Awesome. We open up where the uh, the team is reminiscing on their adventures, hanging on Rock's every single word. You know, I think that maybe she's maybe gained some sort of maturity, wisdom, ability to tell a story in a very interesting fashion. Self-confident. Or maybe, uh, you know, it's just, it's unusual to hear out of what they would expect her to usually come across as, you know what I mean? Well, and she might have a renewed sense of self-confidence when she was the one who saved the ship for the this, first time. This is a very true thing. Uh, in the beginning of the last episode, Rock was uh, cowering in a corner when Janeway found her. And then she comes in the end of the episode to be the hero. So perhaps that is the growth that we've seen and are experiencing now. Then we immediately cut to the uh, T-800, uh, the dead T-800. T they are displaying it like a trophy. The dead liquid TI-8000 calculator from the future <laughs> come back to get Linda, uh, what's her name? Uh, Chandler, Catherine Chandler. Linda Hamilton. Yeah, Catherine Chandler. Oh, trying okay. to rescue Catherine, Catherine Chandler from the beast in New York City. Oh, okay. That's for your bingo card, folks. I'm lost. It's okay. It's for the bingo cards. And then we immediately reprise our a new MacGuffin for this episode. You gotta have a MacGuffin. MacGuffin's yeah. the best thing to follow around. Princess Leia appears out of uh, R2-D2's head and starts saying, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. We need your help. Oh, wait. We need your help. Movie. Close. It's very close. Yeah. Although, uh, I did notice one thing that you might not have picked up on. Okay. The original Princess Leia hologram was blue. Okay. This MacGuffin is red. And oftentimes in media, especially like this, red is indicative of the bad guy. So this is a message coming from the bad guy instead of the good guy. You say that uh, this could be, you know, uh, an alignment of the human understanding to the cinematics. But I yes. posit that uh, this is actually deeper in the human psyche, where blue mm -hmm. is, you know, open sky and red is blood. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Actually, for the first time, we have a conference room, a conference in the conference room around yes. the conference table. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We have the first instance of the 24th century technology of the conference room. Absolutely. So maybe that's the introduction of the quote technology in this episode. Okay. Is... The technology for this episode is the observation lounge talk conversation, right? <laughs> yes. The, the briefing, lounge. as it were. Yeah. The weird thing was about the hologram, though, that yeah. uh, the whole time the T800's head is on its side. Yes, it is. The hologram is right side up. Is there some sort of like auto rotating feature? Yeah, there's a there's an auto gyroscope inside. Uh, oh, okay. Dow Rock's head. <laughs> okay i noticed during the conference room scene that uh, yes. apparently rock has elbow pads yes Were those to protect rock's, rock's sensitive elbows from the outside world or are those to protect the outside world from oh, rocks so elbows? actually those are collectors because so much like humans you know shed skin all day uh rock <laughs> tends to sh you know shed uh rocks so we collect those and at the end of the day rock pulls the uh, pulls the little elbow holders off and then uh, can then install those rocks into the ceiling of the bridge 
they, they get automatically transported to the uh, 23rd century of the USS Discovery. <laughs> they get sent into other ships so that when they get into collisions, they can then be ejected onto the... You know, I wonder what kind of rating you have to have. Like, what do you study in Starfleet Academy to be that person that has to go around and pick up the rocks? Because I've never seen them picking up the rocks. <laughs> well, I saw Kira picking up the rocks. But I think that's just because they didn't have the automated... Oh, but it's probably the dots. The dots probably pick up the rocks. And then reinstall <laughs> them in the ceiling and then pick them up again. Uh, okay. The, the nice thing about the conference room scene I appreciate is that the Dal is actually sitting at the head of the table okay. where he thinks he belongs. Sure. And But he is actually sitting there paying attention to what everybody is saying, listening, yeah. and taking in everybody's points of view and sure. suggestions and ideas and then they're all on board for the same thing and it seems yes. like every, even dal is on board but dal has, they're waiting for him to make the final decision yes. and he, he leaves he doesn't say okay um he doesn't say anything he needs to learn how to let people know kind of what's going on yes um okay i need to you know think about this for a little bit we'll reconvene back here in you know uh five minutes sure that's how a captain does it that's that's the pike method that's the picard method yeah but he just walks off and janeway's like wtf oh all right can i say that can you say what wtf i think you can say wtf with the oh, farley okay. mcfarley sticks <laughs> sure uh you know with the fro with the frack yeah and, and I like how he's actually taking into consideration that there are other people, other lives at stake here. He says, uh, if it was just me, sure, I'd do it in a heartbeat. I'd right. go back. Right. But he's not just thinking of himself anymore. Who do you think he's most concerned about? Well, he uh, he uses the word us, and he looks uh, right at Gwen, because Gwen uh, followed him in, and now she's like, what the frack, too? Do you think he's uh, looking at her as like an anchor, or do you think he's looking at her for like approval or confirmation? Well, he immediately backs off and he does. He says, "Oh, I didn't mean you and me, us, us. I meant all." <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good question. I didn't consider that. Maybe she. He's looking at her for confirmation. Yeah, because yeah. she's sort of like the good heart person, right? And yeah. he's sort of like the the rogue heart guy well so the next so he goes and he's talking to himself he says it, it can't be one of my half-baked plans yes everyone has to be has to have a hand in that recipe so that the plan can be fully baked and the yeast can rise yeah because we need bread oh me not some pancakes yeah. <laughs> you know what's that nothing oh I, I like how they have a callback to one of the first episodes in the last section of the season, the cat boots, where yes. they can use the word cat cahoots. Yes, they're in cat boots together. Yes. We finally figure out what this tendril is in the back of Dal's head. Yes, please. We've called it a tail before. Uh-huh. Uh, but we he it, we show see indication that it's apparently prehensile and can hold things at least as small as a evidently what's a, comparable to a screwdriver yes he could paint with it behind his back 
Gwen, though, is a little bit weirded out by it, but she likes it after all at the end when she realizes what he's doing. The one thing I was wondering, though. What were you wondering? Uh, Please tell me. <laughs> they they go, they're on the bridge, they're doing their montage, and they're, they pause to take a break, a coffee break. Yes. Every, <laughs> everybody joins Janeway with her holographic coffee, but they're having real coffee. Mm-hmm. Is the show contributing to the delinquency of a minor by promoting? Well, I don't. Is coffee delinquent? Well, it's an artificial it's stimulant. Yeah, it's stimulant, so it helps age. you not be delinquent. It helps you make sure that you're doing things. Yeah, but at that young of an age, they don't need stimulants. Oh, who are you? Their parents? <laughs> Let them eat cake. Let them drink coffee. <laughs> It'll stunt their growth. There's not enough space in this planet anyway. <laughs> We only have so much space. Stunted. Stunted. What'd you think of the montage? Uh, it was a long-ass training video. We did an entire <laughs> boot camp. Oh, okay. And everybody got trained up in their in their respective yeah. jobs that we don't know what they are yeah. exactly. Yeah. Actually, it's just now reminding me. It's it's like the, uh, the heist movie sure. you know, montage. Mm-hmm. They're preparing for the, the jobs, but somehow they leave out all the details to, yeah. to so that the viewers don't get exactly get exactly it's all like let's get ready for the job now let's all get ready yeah here's your kitty well they kind of already shown her but. here's my kitty yeah and we're moving on again no i i just uh so, i remember you placed a, a great emphasis on that cat in the first episode yeah and i was uh in the back of my head i was sort of like oh, i could take it or leave it because i don't want to get attached and then be like okay we're never going back to that cat and then i don't want to be yeah. like oh my gosh the cat's gonna be awesome and then like you never see the cat again i yeah. i did kind of like sink sneakily uh, hope that that cat would become part of our crew but yeah we shall we shall continue it's hard to determine how long this montage takes place it doesn't seem like everything that they've been working on and then flying back to the diviner's mine or asteroid or whatever it is could have taken place in less than the amount of time that he gave them especially in given given the fact that uh there's probably it's not instantaneous when they got the message there's probably some time passage within the time that he they received the message and it was sent sure seems like it was at least eight to twelve hours of you know during the montage so how did they make it back in time I guess they did. Somehow it must not have been 8 to 12 hours. Yeah. We finally get into the Starfleet uniforms. Yes, we do. I like the design of these. One thing I want to mention, if people really want to rag on how their uniforms don't look like any other series, maybe these uniforms are prototypes as well as, you know, the prototype, the ship being a prototype. Yeah. Yeah. I I assumed as much. I assumed that these would be uh, uniforms unique to the Protostar. Yeah, they they did kind of drop the ball on one thing though. What is that, sir? I think it would have been so cool if uh, we we had a little bit of a shot of um, Murph, where with his uniform wearing him because it's on he swallowed it and it's on the inside of him. Well, maybe we're <laughs> saving that. Yeah, well, maybe maybe somebody will write them and say, hey, you guys should do it this way. Is Murph Porthos? You know, maybe. 
but I think they've given Murph a little bit more uh, sentience or providence. Is that the right word? I don't know. Like he's more of a fully resolved character. Yeah. Uh, Porthos, sometimes it seems like the writers forgot about Porthos. Well, it's a good thing because when they didn't forget about him, they put him in a sick bay overnight. <laughs> I don't know. That was a cute episode. One of the things they definitely dropped the ball on for Star Trek Pets, though, was... Ooh, that's a good... That's a great television show. What? Star Trek Pets? Yes. <laughs> Star Trek Pets. To boldly pet where no one has pet before. Well, then maybe not that. <laughs> you know, the uniforms could be prototypes. Yes. Obviously, those uh, phasers are more than likely a prototype. Yes, those definitely. Those are some kind of dolphin thing that I've seen referenced previously. I think the dolphin shape is actually what they talked about in the 32nd century. So I'm very curious. Although with that 60, 600,000, oh, I'm so lost on that star date. <laughs> Does Zero need legs here? Because that's Murph. Murph is she well Zero goes and sits down on the bridge and Zero actually starts to talk so if that was already Murph then it wouldn't be able to talk well I see or perhaps it has a universal translator inside <laughs> yeah but then how come nobody can understand Murph this is a fair point if Murph is speaking a language and Murph is it's a language that the Universal Translator can't figure out. Like, if you just have a non... If you just had a visual language instead of an audible language. Oh, so like maybe a TDD phone? Would a translator... Would your Universal Translator translate that? No, not like a TDD phone. Like, like you know, a sign language. Yeah. So, like, would the Universal Translator pick up the sign language and somehow translate the sign language as well? I've wondered that before myself. You know, like the, uh, like that interpreter, no, the interpreter from, um, Silent as a Whisper. Oh, crap, what was his name? He had three, yeah. Yeah, he had a chorus that spoke for him. Yeah. Uh, the, the ambassador that all, the Klingons was, he was the one that the Klingons all revered enough that they would allow him to be their ambassador. That's correct. This episode yes. definitely has some very interesting inspirations from it. Please do tell. Very curious. A nice old man by the first name of George once said... Carlin? No. Is he a nice old Burns? man? He came up... <laughs> do you want me to say it? You'd like to avoid the subject. Takei. George Lucas. Okay. <laughs> once said that... Uh, one of the best literary tropes to use is a three-act play or a trilogy. All right. In the first act, you introduce all your players. In the second act, they're sure. trapped in a black hole never to get out. And okay. in the third act, they get out. And this, I realized in the middle of uh, viewing this episode that this is the second act. This episode in particular is the second act. They're introducing the second act to their, their play. This is the stuck in a black hole portion. Yes. I see. And I was wondering, they they do kind of 
hint a little bit, they re recreate a little bit in their own Star Trek -y way the scene uh, in Empire Strikes Back where uh, they're arguing about the, the agreements that they have. And Darth Vader is like, uh, I'm altering our deal, pray I don't alter it any further. And in this case, uh, the Diviner has altered the deal. He wants his daughter too, not just the ship. You know, and I think it is they use it in a very good way because it, you know, you're trying to introduce fans, not just to the ideas of Star Trek and the concept of Star Trek, but sci-fi in general. Yes. And uh, possibly storytelling in general. Yes, the, the warm storytelling that is science fiction. And yeah. uh, maybe I noticed that I feel like Prodigy is largely void of the allegorical structure that Star Trek often has. Okay. What's what's the allegorical? Structure? You know where it talks about modern day stuff in the stories. You know, okay. shrouding it in science fiction. Mm -hmm. It really has more like coming of age type stories. Yeah, it does. could they be doing it in an allegorical fashion though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the this is the allegories for the current events of people who are coming of age. Okay. You know what I mean? Like for you and I, it's the news of the day. Mm -hmm. And for them, it's also the news of the day. It's just on a different wavelength, if you know what I mean. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, I think so. For 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 someone who's going through puberty, let's say, for example, what's important information for the day is different than what's important information for the day for me. Oh, okay. You know and what they're I mean? trying like, to combine those to keep the interest of the adults as well as... No, I'm saying they're not doing that. They're just well, focusing they're on, yeah, they're just focusing on like day-to-day -day person things, things that people go through, you know? Oh, okay. Uh, one of the things I was stricken by when uh, Dal is trying to, they're kind of having a minor argument, Dal and Gwen. Sure. Are, are they kind of, were they mirroring a little bit the story arc of Felix when Dal and Michael and Book all have to come to terms with the ideas that this is a person with their own agency, their own, you know, they're sane, they're in, in their right mind, uh, and they've made this choice to do a thing that they don't necessarily agree with, but they have to accept. Um, I'm sorry, Felix? Felix, uh, from Star Trek Discovery, uh, season four, uh, I don't remember the episode number, but the examples. Oh, okay, I got you. Thank you. You know, Felix made the decision that he was just going to stay on the asteroid. Sure. And he was going to allow himself to die. He was directly committing suicide, but he knew that if he was going to stay behind, he was probably, he had a 50-50 chance of surviving, and as we knew that it had to be in the story, that the, the asteroid was going to be destroyed yes and here Gwen is also making a similar decision uh, to do something that Dal doesn't necessarily agree with yes but he has to learn to come to accept it and that she's in her right mind and she has this ability to make this choice of her own yes so maybe there's a parallel to real life in that that seems to be a parallel sometimes you have to let people be who they are yeah. Sure, absolutely. These are so these are like 
these are tales of uh, of growing up. So I wonder if there is now a shift because we've done a lot of learning about Star Trek, right? So like every every episode we learn about something new, some new piece of technology, right? So yeah. last episode, if you'll recall, we encountered a, a reference to a sort of a pseudo reference to a book that was made uh, in the ninth century that was for you know puzzles to sharpen a, a young mind right oh right yeah so are we is that was that signaling now a shift to now we're going to learn about you know critical thinking oh that that's that's interesting i i hadn't considered that so yeah there's a possibility i don't know let's I, let's see what happens yeah let's we'll have forward. to we'll have to touch base on that again when when we get back into the third part of uh the first season here yep yep you know i mean we've been watching this series the whole time obviously the diviner isn't very familiar with zero no he's not been watching the series at all the diviner should be familiar with zero because i feel like the diviner uh was accused of capturing uh zero and removing zero from its hive from from zero's hive mind yeah but obviously he didn't get a very close look at the quote zero Murph because you know getting a second chance a third chance a fourth chance to mm -hmm. see the zero Murph you know they don't look like themselves they go or, off, well, huh? it looks like Murph inside there not zero inside her, her seems tank. like they should be a little off what was your opinion of uh, Dark Janeway Ooh, Dark Janeway was so much deeper than uh, like a mirror universe version because this is like the cold dead zombie version. Oh. The, the completely heartless version, not like the evil hearted version, but just like the dead version. Zombie Janeway. Oh. It's, it's almost like Janeway, but it's almost like Borg Janeway. You know, they should release a whole like line. I have the 12 inch figure of, Bar of Barbie, <laughs> of Janeway, right? So they should yeah. release like a whole line of, of Janeways. They should be like Admiral Janeway. You know, like uh -huh. lizard Janeway, you know, <laughs> like um, Janeway from the 18th century with that little thing. With the little, <laughs> with you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe just the hologram, the useful portions of the hologram without the excess dressings of the personality oh, yeah. and the trainer. Yeah. Uh, you gotta have uh, you gotta have hologram Janeway, of course. <laughs> you gotta have bun Janeway, right? And bun. you gotta, yeah, yeah Janeway with the bun. Oh, and you gotta have, uh, one you gotta have a special edition, you gotta have Jean Pierre Bujold Janeway. Okay. Boy, you think Jean Pierre Bujold is kicking herself now? She can still oh, be working. Janeway. Okay, yeah. yeah. Oh, my. Um, she can still be working, but no, nah, she had to go and be tired. I'm tired. She's all right. <laughs> it's okay. I've got it. You go home, John Vieve. <laughs> are, are, are the characters starting to develop their own catchphrases too? Ooh, I what's this, the... I well, Zero has three times, three or four times in this episode so far, said for the first time. I don't think she's ever said it before. Hoot hoot. <laughs> I think Zero's turning into an owl, <laughs> Mister Owl, <laughs> not the not the um. The lollipop owl, oh, with the okay. uh, Woodsy the owl. <laughs> you know, give a hoot, don't pollute, Woodsy. Yeah. Sponsored by the Ed Council. Uh, 
near the end of the episode, we do get a slight encounter of the uh, Star Trek 2009 theme. I, I thought I recognized something a little interestingly sounding. Yeah. We did miss one thing that almost every two-parter has, or part one of a two-parter episode has had of Star Trek previously. What do you feel like we missed? We don't get a dun-dun. Oh, yes. Yeah, because we do it like we do, we, we do movie style. Dun-dun. So you know what? Let's uh, let's give the people what they're looking for. Let's give Fine. them uh, dun 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 now. Are we doing that? Or are you dropping it? I I dropped it in. So we are to be continued. Yeah. Support the continued making of this show through Patreon.com. Let's talk about Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttreks.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trekstalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kako 3 Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay.